raindrops are falling on my head And just like the guy's feet are too big for his bed Nothing seems to fit Those raindrops are falling on my head They keep falling So I just did me some talking to the sun Welcome back to Web of Music, a podcast on the Spidey Dude Radio Network where we talk about all of the soundtracks and scores that are available from the Spider-Man filmography, including Sam Raimi's Spider-Man trilogy, the the double Spider-Man, the double feature of Amazing Spider-Man, the Tom Holland trilogy, and the almost completed Spider-Verse trilogy. <laughs> uh, Very which, soon. Yes, which the last time recorded, Spider-Verse had not come out yet. Now Spider-Verse has come out and a whole bunch of controversy about working on Spider-Verse. Some of it's kind of like people like, do your job, okay, I work 15-hour days. There's a whole bunch of stuff online that's fun to read. Who knows when Spider-Verse 3 is going to come out because there's a writer's strike and a whole bunch of other nonsense happening in Hollywood. Um, <laughs> I am your host, Dr. Chris, and joining me is composer Lito Velasco. Hello, everyone. Thanks for joining us. And today, we are talking about Spider-Man 2, which was possibly the most anticipated movie of 2004 that I can remember. I would say so, probably. I distinctly remember what theater I went to go see when this film came out as well. It was the Blackstone Valley Cinema Deluxe, where I see all my movies and review them for Radio of Horror. In fact, it was the day the movie theater opened because it was a newly constructed plaza. The only thing they had open at the time was a TGI Fridays, the Best Buy, the Target, and maybe like one other store. But most of the plaza was still almost a skeleton or half being completed or being moved into. So it was this giant rolling hill plaza of all these different stores and all these different little plateaus of, of parking spaces. And it's still there today, and stores have changed. But the movie theater had just opened this day for Spider-Man 2, starring Tobey Maguire, Kristen Dunst, Alfred Molina, and directed by uh, Sam Raimi. Yeah, baby. <laughs> In fact, I honestly couldn't remember who Alfred Molina was. Because I wasn't big into art films, and I'm still very picky-choosy on what art films I did. But I had to go back to Raiders of the Lost Ark and go, oh, he's the guy in the it's beginning. Yes. <laughs> I'm like, that makes sense. But then afterwards, Alfred Molina starts showing up in other films as well. I knew who mm-hmm. Kristen Dunst was, obviously, from the interview with the vampire in Jumanji. And Tobey Maguire, of course, had just done Spider-Man. Again, now, Tobey Maguire was almost not going to come back to play Spider-Man because of a back injury he received on the on the set of Seabiscuit. And we almost got Mysterio Quentin Beck to play him. Jake Gyllenhaal. Jake Gyllenhaal. Can you, would you, can you believe that? <laughs> I mean, it, it, I think it could have worked, but man, it would have taken a lot of the emotional punch of Spider-Man 2 away if it's a different actor. Correct, and of course, the the back injury of Tobey Maguire would follow him through the film, obviously, when he crashes into the alley or whatever, when he's back, he's back, smash, bang, boom, crash, oh, my back, my back, and then, in No Way Home, he needs help from Andrew Garfield to do some back crunches, because he has a back injury. Yeah. <laughs> I thought that was very clever. And unfortunately, this back injury does kind of follow Toby through his career right now. It's a lot of the reasons why you don't see him doing a lot of stuff just because he's not trying to hyper accentuate it. And he's been taking yeah. care of his. Uh, I think he has a daughter, too. So, you know, I'm sure he's made plenty of money on Spider Man. He didn't need to, like, you know, jump into every single little part. But it was nice to see him back to do um, No Way Home. So, and oh, I for know. Sure. The constant rumors and internet clickbait, please don't click on it and please don't follow it until you see an actual announcement from Sony Pictures or Disney and no one's making any announcements while there's a writer's strike and the actor strike is pending right now. Um, no kidding. Yeah. When you see announcements from those two companies, then you know Tobey Maguire is going to return to play Spider-Man. But now it has been almost, what, two years since that movie came out and no announcement? I'm not holding my breath. Yeah. That writer's strike is really mucking everything up, but... I understand why it's happening, so... Correct. So, we're going to take a look at the score first, because Lena and I know more about the score than we do the soundtrack, and we'll get <laughs> to the soundtrack in a few minutes. Let's just face it, the soundtrack to the first Spider-Man movie had a massive hit with the, with the Chad Kroger song, Hero, and this one mm-hmm. has, like, nothing I recognize. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, there's fact, not a lot on here. <laughs> the only song in this I recognize is not a Spider-Man-made song. It's actually a song from um, a classic. What? I, what let's let's go back in time, uh, Lito. When did "Raindrops Are Falling on My uh, Head" c- come out? Oh my God! <laughs> you mean like when it first came out? Yeah, because let's face it, that's the only song most people will probably know. "Raindrops Keep Falling on My Head" by mm-hmm. DJ Thompson. Uh, that was 1969, that was I yeah. think. Yeah. Yeah. 1969. Yeah. I mean, let's face it. That's the only song you know from this movie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's true. It's the only one I know. I'll be honest. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> um, hold on. I'm going to pull up a little clip of it right here. Sure. Raindrops are falling on my head. And just like the guy's feet are too big for his bed, nothing seems to fit. Are falling on my head, they keep falling. So I just did me some talking to the sun. By the way, this is from the uh, BJ Thomas uh, YouTube channel, which is kind of funny to see. Uh, I don't know if BJ Thomas is still alive. I actually don't know much about BJ Thomas, to be honest with you. Neither do I, so you're not alone. Don't worry. Okay. Um, <laughs> he actually died in 2021, it looks like. So. Oh, that's really? That's too bad. That's. Wow, that's yeah. really recent. Um, I was going to say very recent. Very recent. Um, however, the mo- because we're talking about soundtracks and scores, the song was written for a soundtrack. Can you guess mm-hmm. what famous 1969 movie it was written for? Well, let the people guess because I know the film it was written for. Butch Cassidy and the Sundance yep. Kid. And it was yep. written by Burke Bacharach, too. Also extremely <laughs> yep. famous and well-known. I mean, talk about a song that's got serious, like, you know... Uh, pedigree <laughs> pedigree yeah pedigree is yeah. a word for it um yep. you know what's really disappointing <laughs> we don't get an oingo boingo song in any of the spider-man films <laughs> no oingo reunions were given <laughs> no um i think the only other song in the spider-man filmography for this film i recognize is the chinese lady in or Jap- uh, the asian uh pianist in the subway Clicking away, Spider-Man, Spider-Man. Well, the, yeah, the spider violin goal. player. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, because she's doing the classic, uh, the classic cartoon theme. So correct. Which we never really got in these films until uh, Tom's films for the opening Marvel Cinematic logo, mm-hmm. which was beautifully done. But we'll, I'll get to there eventually because I do have a lot of um, questions, concerns, and comments about <laughs> those films' yeah. score and soundtracks. But mostly positive. Just FYI, yeah. the Spider-Man Tom Holland trilogy music, I love to death. Um, but we'll get there. Let's concentrate on Spider-Man. Eventually, 2. yeah. Eventually. Okay. So the score for Spider-Man Two um, is by Danny Elfman, once again, um, and. Uh, it is got a uh, regular release, as far as I'm aware. However, next year being the 20th anniversary of the movie, I wouldn't be surprised if uh, we finally get the expanded. Yeah, like we did with the with the first Spider-Man movie in 2002 from uh, yeah. uh, La La Land Records, which I'm yeah, gonna we, totally buy in a heartbeat. <laughs> yeah, we better get it. We, we better, better get, get it. it. Yeah, yeah. Um, this has 15 tracks on it, which includes raindrops. So 14 are actual score tracks. Um, mm-hmm. And the CD case. Do you have the CD? I still have it in a box somewhere, but uh, most of my stuff is, you know, on my iTunes. Well, sorry, my Apple Music account, so I don't normally see it. Okay, so the CD itself has two of the three, uh, two of the four posters that I'm aware of. One has Spider-Man just kind of floating in the midair with Doc Ock in his lenses, and you see New York behind him, and it's golden. Um, He's not holding on to anything, so it's kind of a crappy Photoshop, in my opinion. (laughs) I'm sorry, but... He's just floating in the sky. (laughs) Where is his web line? (laughs) Maybe he just jumped off a really tall building. Maybe he jumped off a really tall building. I mean, the the world... not the World Trade Center, uh, the Empire State the Building. The Empire. The Empire yeah. State Building is right behind him, so maybe he jumped off that. I digress. On the yeah. back, we have the one where he's turning his, uh, he's turning around, and Doc Ock is definitely in his, um, his lens mask, 
And then they have nice. a list of the scores, the anti-piracy thing. Um, the scores include uh, Spider-Man 2 main title, MJ's new life, Doc Ock is born, Angry Arms, a phone call, the bank, the mugging, Peter's turmoil, Doc Ock's machine, he's back, the joke we just made, train apprentice, <laughs> Aunt May Pax, okay, just already these are a little out of order, Armageddon, yeah. the Goblin Returns <laughs> at Long Last Love, and Raindrops. Okay, so the order they actually should be in, up to a point, is... Um, Doc Ock's machine should be at the very end before a long, a long last love, and then the yeah. Goblin Returns should be before that. And that's really well done, by the way. That's a very creepy uh, little score for Harry embracing his identity as the yep. son of the Green Goblin. Train Apprentice is before Aunt May attacks. <laughs> I'm sorry, Aunt May packs. Aunt May packs. Aunt May packs. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, by the way, do you know the history of Aunt May and Doc Ock? I know a little bit about it from the comic books, but right. um, probably not nearly as well-versed as you are. So you, I'm just going to give give out the basic knowledge. At one point, Aunt May <laughs> inherited a nuclear power plant in the 70s, um, and Doc Ock had just returned and was living as a boarder with Aunt, for Aunt May once in a while. And when he came back into her life, he proposed to her marriage so he can get his hands on that nuclear power plant. Yeah, I remember that. I remember some of that. Right. And in fact, it was like a big, like, Peter going, oh my god, Doc Ock's going to become my uncle, oh no! <laughs> and then Doc Ock and Hammerhead are destroyed in the explosion, and they're literally, like, atomized. And they eventually return, but, like, they're out-of-phase ghosts or something like that. Like, Doc oh, Ock boy. is, like, haunting Aunt May because he's trying to, like, recorporalize his form. Oh, oh boy. <laughs> yeah. Later on, many, 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 many years later, in 2021, Doc Ock would team up with Aunt May to help break into a facility that Aunt May wants to get an isotope needed to save Peter's life. Because Peter had been horribly sickened and injured fighting the UFOs, which are Hulk villains that have, like, toxic powers, and he was incapacitated and, like, dying and the doctors could not figure out what was wrong with him, but Aunt May was like, well, I know one person I shouldn't ask for help for, but I'm going to anyway. And she went to Doc Ock for help, and Doc Ock was more than willing to help Aunt May save his nephew, her nephew's life. Now, at wow. this point, by the way, this is after the storyline, Doc Ock would swap bodies with Peter because Doc Ock was dying of cancer, and he swapped bodies that. with Peter <laughs> and then like uh, pretended to be Peter and, like, rape some, like, little person, and then, like, Yikes. try to put the moves on MJ, and, uh, well, not raped in the way of you basically pretending to be someone else to have sex with somebody. Let's put it in perspective a little okay. bit. Okay, yeah, gotcha, or, Didn't gotcha. force himself on her, she fell in love with him, but when Peter re-swapped bodies, she was like, I get it, you were not the man I was in love with, we don't have to continue this, but don't worry, I will, co- I will never tell anybody about what happened and who you really are. And he's like, I appreciate it. And she became kind of a supporting character in the comics for a little while until they just didn't know what to do with her. But <laughs> um, oh, we digress. We digress. <laughs> anyway, let's get back to the movie. Um, thankfully, Doc Ock has like a wife in this movie. This is the first time they ever wrote Doc Ock to be more than like, I'm a maniacal villain. At this yeah. point in the comic books, Doc Ock was just the way he'd always been written since 1960s. Okay, yeah. he didn't have any of the character development with him swapping bodies with Peter and getting in a clone body and joining the Spider-Verse or any of that nonsense. Um, he had died at one point due to Kane, the clone of Spider-Man, and been brought back to life by the Hand. Yes, the Daredevil ninja villains. Um, oh, wow. But this movie gave him a wife, and it was kind yep. of interesting that he was given this story where he was Peter's, like, uh, father figure after Uncle Ben died after Norman Osborn died Peter needs another father figure apparently um, <clears throat> the plot of this movie we would see once again in a little video game that blew up the sales charts in 2018 called Spider-Man for the Sony PlayStation 4 Yep. and in that Doc Ock has Peter as his assistant and needs his help with um, his uh, his new company after he got split off from Oscorp and Norman became the mayor of New York. Um, and it's a great game. I highly recommend checking it out. Um, but you can see definitely the seeds from that implanted in this. Now, in my opinion, Lito, the best score of the movie is Doc Ock in the emergency room. 
Hmm. That's a that that's definitely great stuff. When he comes to realize who he is, that all of that stuff is is perfect for Danny because he's so good at composing dark music. Right. So and, and that yeah. scene is right out of the Evil Dead too. Oh yeah, for sure. Some of those camera shots, exactly. classic. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, that that in my opinion is the best uh, piece of this entire score. Uh, the Spider-Man movie theme I think definitely got tweaked from the first film. Um, and it plays over that amazing montage of, of images drawn by Alex Ross from the first film. Yeah. Well, that's for the for the main titles. I was going to say it got tweaked in the sense that um, he introduces Doc Ock's theme in the opening titles, so it wasn't quite the same from you know the first film. But I liked the direction they went with it because he started introducing the audience to the musical material before the movie even starts, which I think is kind of cool. It's kind of like how they used to have overtures before films started. Um, I also forgot in the back of the insert booklet, we have a picture of Spider-Man on the train, Peter and MJ, uh, Harry about to take off Spider-Man's mask, Spider-Man web slinging, Aunt May showing off the deed to the house um, that she's trying to remortgage, um, Ock and Spider-Man at the bank, and Peter with his mask off and most of his costume being torn to shreds, climbing, <laughs> on, the, climbing on the web that he put MJ on for safety. Um, and oh, I love that like shot. A, they're done in like a comic book panel kind of styling. By the way, the That's worst cool. character development for MJ ever is they made her the runaway bride. <laughs> and we never really. Got... I kind of like that. Oh, I did not like that. I hate a runaway bride story. And also, we never got to see the man. We never got to see Man Wolf. I know they kind of abandoned that, but I I never really thought they were going to go that route anyway. No, so you're right. That would have been that would have been a stretch way too far. But think about yeah. it. Now we have the werewolf by night. And oh hell yeah. Thing. It it could totally work now. And we have sure. a and we have a and I gotta watch my language because I am gonna air these on Radio of Horror at some point. Uh, we have a crappy Craven the Hunter coming out. Oh, we just saw that trailer. Oh Ugh. my god, what is wrong with Sony? But I digress. Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, you have some behind the scenes information about the score you wanted to share with me. Yeah. So this score, man, I've. I know a lot of people that work in the music industry, obviously, since I'm a composer, and I'm friends with some of the people who worked on this score in particular. I won't name any names, but there are a lot of stories about what went on behind the scenes between Danny and Sam, and apparently it got pretty, let's just say, intense emotionally between the two of them, because I think... Sam was asking for things that seemingly this is, you know, supposedly this is what I've heard. I can't I don't want anyone to take this as fact or gospel because this is just the story that everyone knows. But I guess Sam was asking Danny to do certain things that Danny just either wasn't interested in doing or he just didn't agree. And because of that fact, a lot of the music in the film that Danny composed, which appears on the score CD does not actually get used in the final film. And they brought on a handful of additional composers, including Steve Bartek, who is someone who's worked with Danny Elfman for a really long time, uh, John Debney, Deborah Lurie, Joseph Loduca, and Christopher Young. And they, they basically asked all of them to write tracks to complete the score or to revise some of the stuff that Danny had already written, supposedly. And if you... You know, if you follow the history of Sam Raimi's films as a director, that kind of uh, opened the door for his partnership in many ways with uh, Christopher Young, who went on to do a handful of Sam's films. Um, he, you know, we'll talk about later that he did Spider-Man Three, but um, and in my it's opinion, just interesting. And I said this in the last episode, Lito. In my opinion, mm-hmm. the Spider-Man Three opening theme is the best of the three. Wow, nice. Yeah, I know well, controversial. I know controversial. <laughs> I know controversial. Yeah, then you need to like introduce me to Chris. Chris and Chris yeah. talk because yeah. I think they did a good job, you know, re- redoing the stuff that that Sam wanted redone. Because if you listen to the stuff on the the score CD, some of the stuff from the train scene in particular is not in the finished film because they had other composers come in and uh, finish it. And if you look really carefully online i won't say where specifically but you'll be able to find an album that is the complete spider-man 2 score 
that has um, all of the stuff that Danny did, all the stuff that that Chris did, all the stuff that you know John Debney and all these people did, and it's oh. in chronological order. And of course, me being the completest that I am, I, I had to seek that out. So I, that's the one I listened to. That's why I said I'm not super familiar with the soundtrack album. Okay, let me correct myself from earlier when I said, do you think La La Land Records might not be able to put out a complete score because of how many different people are on it and the money paying out to estates like that becomes you know, more than they want to do, whereas the first film was just all Elfman? You know, I'm not, I don't know. I'm, I mean, I think that... It's been enough time, if I had to guess, I think it's been enough time that everyone involved, I think, would be sensible and calm-headed enough to say, you know what, the fans want it, you know, it's a beloved film, let's get it out there, let's figure this out percentage-wise. Because, I mean, I've never known any of the people that I'm talking about, like John Debney or Christopher Young or, you know, these people, I've encountered them in person, and they certainly don't come across as the kind of people that would you know, put up such a fight. Poor John Debney's still waiting for his score to, uh, I know what you did last summer to release, so I think he'd probably oh. be all for getting whatever money he can, I guess. <laughs> I have, I, I have, I know what you did last summer on CD and vinyl, uh, because it was a Record Store Day vinyl release, and I had to get it. And uh, I just found out that the, uh, I know what you did, I still know what you did last summer, is getting a uh, 4K release with bonus material. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So if you, that makes uh, sense. If you missed out on that Arrow release in the United Kingdom, which had really nice box art, by the way, um, you're basically <laughs> getting the you're basically getting what they got just officially released through the studio, not through a third party like Scream Factory or something like that. But I cool. digress. That's good to know though, because I again I I I, re- I suddenly realized that the score for that film has never been released. But hell, it took almost thirty years, by the way. Speaking of soundtracks and scores, it took it took 30 years for the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle movie score to come out. Right. <laughs> on vinyl, because everyone kept posting like c- cuts from the movie with the with the you know like they separated the audio from the film, but you could tell it was just terrible. And then they yeah, finally yeah. released a a two vinyl set for the original movie with gorgeous art cover by Kevin Eastman, co-creator of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And I Very bought that cool. up immediately. I got the blue version, so that means I got Leonardo's. And they put they released two as well. Um, two I have not been able to get, but is still available just because obviously one is more popular than two. Of course. Yes. Um, yeah. but, uh, but the soundtrack for that movie had gotten released immediately when the film came out because of all the different, you know, R&B rap artists that were on it, too. You know, House of Pain did the, the, did the theme for Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, the movie. So, and right. I'm really looking forward to seeing what the score and soundtrack will be for the upcoming um, Mutant Mayhem. So. Yeah, and it's, I mean, sometimes that just happens. Like, there's, there's films where you feel like, why are these people not putting out this music? Because the fans want it, you know, but I think because it costs them money to do so, no matter what, I think they're always weighing cost versus reward, you know, and they might feel like, well, there aren't enough people interested in this. I mean, look at the Friday the 13th series. How long did it take Harry to finally release those scores? And the only reason it happened was because, you know, he had the gumption and the, and the smarts to go and say, you know what, I'm going to make this happen. And he had, I mean, of course he had help from people, but like, I'll never forget when I first met Harry and I realize we're going off on a tangent, but when we first met Harry, when I first met Harry, like he was surprised when I asked him, I was like, so when are you going to release the scores to those films? And he was like, well, do you think people would want to hear the scores of those films? And I was like, Harry, are you kidding me? Like, people have been clamoring for these things for years. And he was honestly surprised. He was like, really? And I was like, yes, like, I'm one of those people. So I think sometimes it's a matter of cost versus reward. Sometimes it's a matter of they just figure, like, nobody's interested because they're not tapped into the, you know, the geeky fan base like us, you know. And it's unfortunate because they are missing out on profit, you know, but... That's a whole nother subject. Um, the orchestra for the score was done by the Hollywood Studio Symphony, um, yeah. sometimes known as the Hollywood Freelance Studio Symphony. They have credits include The Chronicles of Narnia, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, Sucker Punch, which is a pretty decent movie, Jurassic Park 3, which is a pretty crappy movie, uh, Last Samurai, Pirates of the Caribbean, We Are Marshall, Spider-Man 2, The Bourne Supremacy, um, Breakfast at Tiffany's, and the list goes on. So they've obviously been in the business for quite some time. Getting into 23, let's just take a look at what they are coming up. Oh, they haven't done anything since Tenet. Interesting. Uh, the Hollywood Studio Symphony, you mean? Yeah, they haven't done anything since Tenet. 
Well, it's basically that's just lingo for a bunch of really, you know, well-known orchestra musicians in Hollywood. That's just the name they go under. But it's basically a bunch of people from the L.A. Phil. Second best haunting score in the film is like, The Goblin Returns, I think, when Harry discovers his destiny, which is oh, yeah. not handled very well in part three, but we'll get there. But I think it was yeah. handled extremely well in part two, especially since you get the voiceover by William Defoe returning. Yes. Avenge me! Avenge me! Because yeah. <laughs> he's so distraught and like, what do I do? Peter is my best friend, but he's the man who killed my father. What? No. Yeah. But anyway, we get that explained and fixed in part three, sort of. Yeah. Uh, anyway, and then they never use Harry again. Well, there's sort of to any good results afterwards. <laughs> yeah, we won't yeah. get into that just yet. Yeah. Not yet. <laughs> I'm still waiting to see if Ned comes back as the, the Hobgoblin. <laughs> Oh, man. Because that's the constant rumor. Oh, you know, you're supposed to become the Hobgoblin, right? I promise, Peter, I'll never kill you. Yeah, right. What are you talking about? Uh, you'll die, and then your wife will go crazy, and but then there'll be, like, this clone version of you, but then you'll be brainwashed and becoming the Hobgoblin again, but you never were the Hobgoblin. You were actually brainwashed. But then, oh, my God, it's so complicated with Ned Leeds right now. It's so complicated. Um... We are such geeks. <laughs> yes. Uh, if you want to check out where the Hobgoblin is these days, I don't know who the hell he is, but he's going to show up and fight Miles Morales in his book coming up soon. So that makes me happy. Of course. Uh, Why not? <laughs> because Miles doesn't have a rogues gallery. He has Peter's ca- he has Peter's knockoffs. I'm sorry. Yes. <laughs> and any rogues gallery he does have, he ends up befriending or dating. Like Vulture's granddaughter, <laughs> he, she, he straightens her out and is just like, you're grandfather is a psychopath and a murderer and she's like that's not true he was just trying to provide for his family and he's like no <laughs> no he's a psychopath and a murderer <laughs> yeah he's done many bad things and then of course vulture goes after peter being like you turned my granddaughter away from me and peter's like i did what to who <laughs> he's like oh miles i don't follow what you're saying yeah <laughs> <laughs> anyway um the uh I also really enjoyed um the bank uh fight scene too, and then of course the train has this kind of like oh like orchestral thing to it. Oh the choir. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Which of the scores do you uh, tracks did you find to be your favorite before we move on to the unknown soundtrack? <laughs> um I really enjoy um Doc Ock's transformation, well, not transformation, but when he wakes up and he realizes what he's become, I love all of that stuff because, again, it's right in Danny's wheelhouse, and I think he nails it perfectly. I really like the track uh, He's Back, I believe it's titled, when um, Peter, you know, tries to rediscover his powers, and, you know, as we know, he falls off the building. I like a lot of the train stuff, even though not all of it is used in the film, and then I really do love At Long Last Love a lot, like, I'm in the camp of I, – I like that MJ bailed on the wedding because she finally got her head out of her butt. Um, not to be mean, but she finally came to the realization that she loves Peter, you know, and things aren't perfect and things are going to be tough. But, you know, what love is perfect? So I like the music there. I think it's really moving, you know, when be, the lead up to the kiss, I think, is very – handled very well by Elfman. who you, It's not someone you would normally think of right away for romance, but I think he always handles the romantic stuff really, really well in this series and in general. I mean, I think people kind of branded him as this, you know, again, master of the macabre like Chris Young. But Chris Young is the same way. I think if you're able to write beauty, you're able to, you know, or I should say if you're able to write darkness, you're able to understand and write beauty. And um, I think Danny and Chris both do it really particularly well. So those are my favorite tracks. That's a lot, I know, but I really I love this score dearly. I think it's fantastic. Well, just before we get right into the soundtrack for the film, which, again, neither one of us really know much about, um, yeah. we're, uh, but there's a couple of interesting notes on here I want to point out. Um, we're going to play this clip, which is He's Back from Spider-Man 2. 
Still no word on the whereabouts of your son's fiance. Sorry, Johnny. It's all my fault. I drove Spider-Man away. He was the only one who could have stopped Octavius. The only one who could have stopped Octavius. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Spider-Man was a hero. Spider-Man was a hero. I just couldn't see it. He was a, a thief. He's a thief. A, a criminal. criminal. Yeah. <laughs> I love that silver. stuff. He's a menace to the entire city. I want that wall-crawling arachnid prosecuted. I want him strung up by his web. I want Spider-Man! <laughs> and it leads right into, he's back into Doc Ock's theme, which is perfect because we get the pull away into Doc Ock's sunglasses as he sees yep. Spider-Man coming towards him and he starts backwards crawling onto that tower. Oh my god, that entire shot is amazing. That entire yes. sequence is amazing. <laughs> Spider-Man's costume is amazing, no pun intended, uh, because it's so much brighter than the first film's costume. It's blue and it's red and he's swinging on or whatever and it's just, it's, it's, it's spectacular. So yeah, I digress. for sure. Uh, moving on to the soundtrack. <laughs> well, it's been good talking to you. See you later. <laughs> Basically, boy, oh boy. The soundtrack for this movie is just not as popular as it was in the first film. Um, no. We both agree on that. There is, again, we played a Raindrops Are Falling on My Head, but also the end of the movie, we have uh, uh, the closing credits of the film feature a version of the theme from the original television cartoon series performed by uh, Canadian crewer Michael Bubble. Uh, and that's uh, pretty much it. While not featured on the album, by the way, it was released as a single to promote the film and contained remixes by Junkie XL and Ralphie Rosario. Sure. <laughs> um, of course, of course, it did. <laughs> yeah, I don't know who any of those people are. Um, <laughs> I, I I do remember the cartoony version though. Right. But I'm disappointed they didn't release it as part of the soundtrack. Now, well, maybe, again. Maybe we'll get they, that if they release the 20th anniversary version. I would assume so, because Lala usually is pretty good about doing that, including stuff that you know wasn't originally on there, not just orchestral, but the pop yeah. stuff, too. Right. They've done that with a, a handful of recent releases that I've been like, holy crap, they got the rights to that? Like, right. But here's so. a clip from that uh, unreleased uh, music. Oh, cool. Very, very jazzy. And by the way, the black and white photo on YouTube, if you want to look up what Michael looks like, he looks like Hayden Christensen. I just realized it's uh, Michael Buble. Buble. Is that, is, yeah, that's, that's the person doing it? Yeah. Wow. Okay. I had no idea. <laughs> it shows how little I know about that. So the soundtrack for the film comes with uh, the slipcase little insert doodad that has Mary Jane uh, holding on to Spider-Man. And then we yep. have a fold-out of various photos done comic book style once again. Peter swinging overhead, Doc Ock's in his machine, Peter catching a newspaper, Spider-Man and Aunt May... Peter and Mary Jane, Peter and Jonah, Mary Jane, Spider-Man, Mary Jane, Harry, uh, Octavius, before he becomes a monster, Spider-Man, 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 Mary Jane, chained up, Mary Jane, Doc Ock putting on his apparatus, and Doc Ock at the bank. Um, and then the inside has basically the black and white, listing, black and white listings of all of the songs on here, including Vindicted, performed by Dashboard Conf Con Confessional, Ordinary, performed by Train, Did You, performed by Hoopastank, Hold On, performed by Jet. Gifts and Curses, performed by and written by Yellow Card. Women, performed by Maroon 5. We know who Maroon 5 is, at least. The pro yeah. uh, the, this photograph is proof, I know you know, written and performed by Talking Back Sunday. Give oh, it yeah. Up, give It Up, performed <laughs> by Midtown. Lucky You, written and performed by Lost Prophets. Who Am I, performed by Smile Empty Soul. The Night of the Lights Went Out in New York City, performed by the Ataris. Interesting name. We are performed by Anna, Someone to Die For, which sounds like a James Bond theme. 
Uh, I know, right? <laughs> performed by Jimmy Ganeco and Brian May. And then, at the very end of the soundtrack, we have the Spider-Man Suite by Danny Elfman and the Doc Off Suite, which are not on the scores and are picked apart and used in the actual score for the film. But this is yeah. the complete score for each one of these characters, including Doc Ock's like, that you heard recently when it segues in from He's Back. Yeah, yeah. By the way, yeah. since this was 2004 and we were at the height of the internet becoming a bigger and bigger powerhouse, you had the ability to put this CD into your computer and go to sonymusic.com, Spider-Man 2, Connected D, and sign in and go, and you can get Spider-Man 2 content and more. What the content oh, wow. and more is, I'm assuming it's just <laughs> photos and maybe a free download. I don't or know. Yeah, maybe a screensaver right. or something. Yeah, the site is not available, and I couldn't find any information about the site, so don't at me, bro. Now, there is a song on here, Lito and I looked up, and you can find on YouTube, on the official YouTube channel, for this Japanese band called TM Revolution, and the song is Web of Night, and it is like all as get-out Japanese techno anime as you get. And yep. it's not terrible. I liked it. I didn't know who they were, but I enjoyed it pretty much. Yeah. Yeah, it was all right. Yeah, they have it, by the way. They sing it in both Japanese and English, FYI. Right. So kudos to them for doing that, because a lot of foreigner uh, uh, bands won't do that. Yeah, they, they usually just leave the international version. But yeah, that's it, that, was a, that was cool that they did that. So Vindicated, which was uh, written by Christopher Karaba, looks like he is like <laughs> 15 years old in his IMDb photo. But he has worked <clears> on things such as uh, Sydney White, Maid of Honor, uh, the Wes Craven disaster movie Cursed, uh, oh. and uh, uh, One Tree Hill, Rain, Melrose Place, Cougar Town, um, you know, he's, he's, he's got work, I guess. I, I just don't know much about him. That's where his, a lot of his stuff has been written on. Um, yeah. And he lives in uh, here in New England, in, in, in Connecticut. Um, oh, interesting. The band <clears throat> Dashboard Confessional, again, don't know who they are, um, <laughs> they have worked on the same films with this guy. Otherwise, they don't have very much else to talk about. Um I, I, know, they're from, I know they're from Florida. I do know that. Oh, I don't know okay. a whole lot about them, but... Uh, it's funny, the only person on this soundtrack that I know is uh, Maroon 5. Yeah, that's the name that jumps out immediately. The only one that's on here that I would recognize. Well, Huba Stank, I mean, I think you probably know... Right, okay. I mean, at least you probably heard some of their stuff, I have, but yes. yep. I can't sing it for you because I'm not that familiar with it. So, uh, One band on here is called Train... Interesting. Their IMDb credits include Friends with Benefits and The Animal. And this is, by the way, songs they have written that have been on those soundtracks. Right. Uh, I have seen both The Animal and Friends with Benefits. I don't have any reason to ever rewatch those movies. <laughs> uh, no. Really? Are you are you sure? I don't. Yeah. No. I'm I'm all set. Uh, Mila Kunis. <laughs> I can watch her in Ted and get just as much of enjoyment out of her in that or Horrible Moms, which I heard they are making a third one of those. Oh, really? I, I would love a third Horrible Mom. <laughs> yeah, I would, too. I do like the Halloween, sequel pretty... Do a Halloween ep movie, too. That would be cool. Because they did the Christmas movie as the second one, which I think I think it was a little right. rushed. But uh, I would like to see them do, like, a Halloween one. But then, of course, they might not want to do, like, a movie, a holiday-themed movie every five minutes. So, um, But I digress. Uh, Jet, <laughs> I heard of Jet Magazine, but I have never heard of Jet the Band. Neither have I. They were in films such as Tomorrow When the War Begins. Or is that their song? No, that's a movie. Uh, they're on the Spider-Man 3 soundtrack. Uh, oh. Spider-Man 3 does have a soundtrack. Uh, <clears throat> uh, the soundtrack for Wild Hogs. If you remember that movie with Tim Allen. I do, sadly. <laughs> <laughs> um, Ghosted, Eye Zombie, uh, The Block, Battle of the Year... A bunch of stuff I've never heard. I Zombie, I have heard of. Are you gonna be my girl? That's I guess one of their songs in one of the episodes. <clears throat> gotcha. Um, let's see who else is on this <laughs> on, on this album. <laughs> so, by the way, there are apparently multiple versions of the soundtrack. Now, I don't know if there are multiple different versions for the first one. I'm going to assume there were, but I didn't look it up as extensively. The UK mm -hmm. has their own version with so different does songs on it. Pakistan and Japan and. 
Brazil. Yeah. Yeah. Indonesia. Uh, yeah. Include songs like Cry Out. Um, Crone to the Mass. The Web of Night we discussed. I Am. Uh, which is something, by the way, Dark Side usually says. And uh, <laughs> uh, in the UK version of the soundtrack, Switchfoot's hit single Meant to Live is featured as track 12 between the nights the lights went out in New York City and We Are. Yeah. But the reason they listed Vindicted, We Are, Web of Night, Meant to Live, uh, Naji Kayun, and Cry Out, they all got single releases too, which is basically a, a CD or tape um, that would have one sound, sa- uh, one one song on it, and then on the reverse mm-hmm. side, sometimes an instrumental version of that song without the lyrics. Yeah. Which was and you remember, remember when record stores used to have the single section at the very front of the store? Yes, we do have like some record in... stores up here in New England. We have Bull Moose, uh, which has seven locations in Maine and New Hampshire, and we do still mm-hmm. have some FYEs up here as well as the local mom and pops in Worcester. We nice. have Joe's Albums, which is a thriving record store, as well as That's Entertainment. That's Entertainment is mostly a comic book store where I get my comic books from, including my recent issue of Spider-Man right here in front of me. Um, but they do have a large vinyl section too. Yeah, record stores are making a little bit of a comeback, but I mean. It's funny because they used to, again, you know, Sam Goody and Camelot Music and all these places that used to have in every single mall. There used to be two or three of them. And they, it's like every single one of them, you went to the front of the store and they had that single section. And it was just, like you said, a CD with like maybe two songs on it. And I was like, but this is like eight ninety nine. I could spend another four bucks and get 18 songs. But I guess if you didn't want all the songs, that was the way to go. The song Give It Up is by the band called Midtown. It's an American pop-rock band from New Jersey. Um, they were founded in 1998 until the band disbanded in 2005. And punk rock music and Spider-Man go hand-in-hand, mainly because the Ramones covered the famous theme song from the animated series of the 60s in the, in the 1990s uh, for the Saturday morning uh, album, which had a bunch of different punk and rock bands covering music from... Uh, 60s, 70s era cartoons. Love it. Yep. Good Um, stuff. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. And by the way, there was a tape. You could actually get that song on a tape, cassette tape, in the Sensational Spider-Man issue number zero. Really? Yes. And if you collect those comic books still sealed with the tape in there, Mm -hmm. they're worth a lot of money. Now, most people, like myself, have two copies because... There were four covers for issue zero, which is very rare at the time. Today, we take it for granted. When the last Ronin came out, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle comic book, there were 60 covers for issue number one, FYI. Jesus Christ. That's insane. (laughs) The comic book industry today. I digress. So the Spider-Man's sensational issue number zero had the web web pattern in the background – and you would form the Spider-Man logo on Ben Riley's chest because this is when Ben oh. Riley is realizing he has to become Spider-Man. Peter had Mary Jane had already packed up and left New York to live happily ever after and have a baby that would eventually be either stillborn or kidnapped by Norman Osborn. FYI, Peter currently works with Norman Osborn and Oscorp. Of course. Um, I digress. Um, <laughs> so Ben has to become a new Spider-Man, and Dan Jurges and Mark Bagley came up with a brand new Spider-Man costume for Ben Riley, and boy, did the fans, like, they they loved it. And, and I agree. Today, it's still the best-looking version of Spider-Man's costume. Spider-Girl, Peter's daughter that lived from an alternate mm-hmm. uh, timeline, What If Universe, mm-hmm. she eventually would take up the mantle of that costume before Peter was killed, and she would then eventually put on her father's costume and become Spider-Woman. But I don't Nice. Um, the tape in there is uh, the Ramon single with the opposite side, apparently the classic Spider-Man tune from the TV show. Uh, if you have a copy of that issue number zero still sealed, it can go for some money. However, you're sitting on cash. <laughs> you got to be really careful though. It's a, we're talking about sorry, not CD. It's we're talking about a cassette tape in a box pressing up against a comic book. Yeah. Think about the damage it's doing to that comic book. Yeah, I was just thinking that. I'm like, uh. Yeah. <laughs> Make um, sure it's on the top of your stack, folks. <laughs> basically, I had heard of Jimmy Greco. He's an American uh, singer-songwriter, multi-instrumental music maker. Uh, I had heard his name here and there, uh, everywhere. Uh, 
He was recently on the Stone Temple Pilots uh, 2022 new release. Oh, cool. Yeah. Do you want to happen to guess about what comic book movie soundtrack came out just prior to this one? Same year. Same year. There were three uh. <laughs> Marvel comic book movies that came out this year. FYI, none of them have to do with the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So Marvel was doing this prior to Iron Man. <laughs> yeah, before they before they cashed in on the 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 gold nugget. Yeah. Okay, so let me let me think for a second. 2004. It's I'm thinking it's either Blade Trinity or, or uh, was the Punisher that year? You're correct. Blade Blade Trinity came out in December that year. Uh, okay. Obviously lackluster uh, fanfare and reviews, and you know. Yeah, which is a shame, but... Yeah, Uh, it's got some good stuff in it, but overall it's not great. Um, No, no, but I'm saying it's a shame because of the first two movies in that series I absolutely love. The Punisher's soundtrack is amazing, no pun intended, and the only reason I bring this up (laughs) is because the Punisher came from Spider-Man. Amazing Spider-Man number 129, the first appearance of the Punisher. Um, This has great songs on it. Step, Step Up by Drowning Pool, Eyes Wide Shut by Edgewater... Let's talk about that soundtrack instead. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Sorry, Spider-Man. Never Say Never by Queens of the Stone Age. Uh, I think the name of the song, I'm trying to find it, but it's got this lyric in it. Oh, did you ever see Dodgeball? Oh, yeah. Okay, so they reuse one of the songs from the Punisher soundtrack in the in the gym locker changing scene when they get the uniforms mixed up and the uh, the badass biker gang goth people are putting on their dodgeball uh, the uh, the other team's uniforms. And you oh, hear the, yeah, yeah, yeah. You hear yeah. in the background, you might like me better if we slept together. You might like me better if we slept <sighs> together. That song is on this as well. There's that great hypnotic music where Frank is at the diner eating and that assassin's at the other end of the diner just playing on the guitar. Mm-hmm. That is a great song, too. If I had a chance to break down this whole soundtrack, I would know exactly what the name of it is. But, yeah, maybe we'll talk about The Punisher one day. Uh, yeah. That's a great soundtrack. Go pick it up. And also, I don't hate Thomas Jane's Punisher movie. I thought it was pretty decent. Yeah, I, uh, I, I'm a fan of it as well, actually. Did I go nuts thinking, oh, my God, The Punisher movie's coming out the same year as Spider-Man 2? Could we see The Punisher and Spider-Man team up for something? Yes. <laughs> of Thomas course we Jane, did. <laughs> Thomas Jane's Punisher, Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man. Maybe there's an alternate universe out there that it happened only in our minds my friend only in our minds just like uh you know christopher reeve's fifth superman movie or kevin smith's superman movie or brandon rouse's sequel superman movie. yeah <laughs> um, the stuff we thought we'd get and we never did correct 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 well that's all the notes i have about the soundtrack again i don't know almost anything about this band and i'm not a maroon 5 fan to really go deep into it um but right. Maroon 5 is probably the most famous <coughs> um, the biggest name? Yeah, they're, they're, they're a huge pop band. They're an American pop band from Los Angeles. Uh, the lead vocalist was Adam Levine. They are, I guess, still around. I don't really follow them, but they've been around since, like, 1994, so. Are they really still around? According to the internet, they're still around. Adam Levine, they... James Valentine, PJ Morton, Mickey Madden, James Carmichael, and Matt Flynn. Uh, whether all those members of the still part of the band, I don't know, but they had a song on the Spider-Man 2 soundtrack, so. Good for them, man. Good for them. Well, yeah, you did. You done good, kids. <laughs> we will be back in a month from whenever you're listening to this. Yep. If they're all up when you're catching them on uh, at the same time, then you're then you're already aware of it. But the uh, Spider-Man Three soundtrack, and there is a soundtrack and score, will be covered by us, um, and we'll go into uh, like the details about that. 
Um, yeah. I didn't know More... there was a soundtrack for Spider-Man 3, so I'm going into that one completely blind. I got to hunt one down. But the score for Spider-Man 3, I actually really enjoy. Um, I know Lita was going to break out some sweet, jazzy dance moves for us. Oh, of course. Of course. He's going to just sit there, just like <laughs> rocking his hands back and forth in the midair, clapping them together. His wife's just sitting there, just being like rolling her eyes in the back of her skull to the point that she's bleeding out of them. Um, <laughs> you you have to when it comes to Spider-Man 3. It's, yeah, I, it's, it's a necessity. Sure. I, 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 I'm, 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 I'm sure. I'm sure Jennifer absolutely loves seeing you do the Spider-Man 3 dance. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Lito, why don't you give away where people can find you? Uh, just hunt me down on the internet at litovelasco.com, and, you and can, you'll you'll find everything out there. And you can find my other Spider-Man-related show here on the Spidey Dude Radio Network, uh, the Sal Basema Era Podcast, where we talk about all of the issues drawn by Sal Basema, who did the artwork on Spider-Man from issues 133, Spectacular Spider-Man, issues 133 all the way till about 230 uh, or 40 or so. Um, but our show will only be covering up to after um, Maximum Carnage and before the Clone Saga began. But uh, for other comic book related news, you can also check out my comic books, uh, Vlada A Dracula Tale, and the Vlada audiobook, which has music composed by Lito Velasco for the opening and ending of the audiobook. Uh, we gender swap the cast of Dracula. So there is a project that the both of us have worked on. Yep. And we'll be back for Spider Man 3 here on Web of Music. Thwip. 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 Thwip.